1: Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jacobovich, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, listeners, to The Humane Podcast, the leading show on applied AI, data science, and ML. Today, we're bringing to the show serial entrepreneur Stephen Banerjee. I've had the pleasure to meet Stephen in Silicon Valley when we've been running our Tech Dinner Series in San Francisco. We recently met him at the Press Club the Four Seasons and also at our single-store office. I had some lovely conversations talking about all things data Stephen's a serial entrepreneur who previously is the founder of Mykonos, and today is launching his latest venture, which is focused on natural language processing in biomedical research, explainable AI, and drug discovery. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: Hey, thanks, David. Thanks for
1: inviting me over. Well, I love all things data, and I love founders who are building, especially in the industry. And yourself as someone who is a repeat founder, uh, we also, for the audience here, got to meet each other also from the On Deck community. On Deck, for many of you listeners, is the new YC of the 21st century. So, if you've never checked out On Deck, be sure to check it out. And I know uh, you're backed also by On Deck, which is very exciting.
2: Yeah, that's correct.
1: Excellent. Well, hey, start us off and let everyone know a little bit about your background. You're built, uh, tried and true on uh, the West Coast. So I'd like to hear about what you did what you've been scaling and uh, what's led you to be a repeat founder.
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, a little bit background here. So I am a mechanical engineer by training and I started my you know, graduate research in semiconductor technologies with applications in biotech almost like more than a decade ago, in the early 2010s. I was a doctoral fellow then at IBM Labs here in San Jose, California. And then uh, I also ended up writing some uh, you know, successful federal grants with a gene sequencing pioneer at Stanford in you know, Ron Davis before uh, I went, ended up going to UC Berkeley for grad research. And then I became a visiting researcher. So during the course, I eventually founded my first company, Mykonos, in 2017 to pioneer you know, cell and gene therapy delivery platforms using soil concept technology that I previously was working on. And during my time of founding and then running the company, I came to realize the tremendous pain that exists in this industry in terms of querying and accessing biomedical knowledge, evidence and insights that are actually hidden and buried within all this in a very disjointed siloed and remarkably messy uh, biomedical data sources. And a lot of this data exists without context. They do not share a common language. So in late 2020 I actually ended up starting this new company called NextNet in order to leverage the you know kind of the recent breakthroughs back then in natural language based AI and with a vision of bringing this explainable version of this AI to the biotech and pharma so you know I've been working on this since uh, since late 2020 and uh, we are at a pretty exciting juncture today
1: I think it's always very exciting when founders become repeat founders and I think what's really exciting is you, you spent a lot of work in the lab, working in deep tech, working in hardware and software. And there must have been things that you discovered when you were building your first company, when you were doing all this research in Mykonos, and then you had some aha moments, and then decided, let's do it again. What what excited and encouraged you to be a repeat founder?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, David. So I think one of the key motivations for me personally is that you know your biomedical R and D is a very broken system, and I'll actually maybe you know spell out some facts here. So there are, I think there there is actually um, studies. Then I think there are around twenty three and a half thousand or more diseases that's known to mankind, and out of which probably a little over or a little less than five percent actually have some form of cure or treatment. You've got hundreds of millions of people that actually suffer from let's say you know, like rare genetic disorders, and unfortunately a lot of that stems from the way, you know, your biomedical R&D is conducted, very, very expensive, very highly risky. You know, an average cost of bringing a drug to market is around $2.6 billion. It takes around 10 to 15 years, like from the early stage discovery to launching into the market. And unfortunately, more than 96% of all drug R&D actually fails. And, you know, this is a really bad social model. This creates this enormous burden on our society and our healthcare spending as well. You know, one of the reasons I started NextNet was, When I was running Mykonos, I kept on seeing a lot of our customers had this tremendous pain point of, um, you know, where you've got this, all these domain and subject matter experts the scientists that are actually working with very little of the available biomedical evidence out there. And a lot of the times that actually leads to false discoveries. And there is ample evidence in in like scientific literature where false discoveries likely greatly outnumber true discoveries in preclinical research. And hence, bad decisions are made. And whether you know you're like selecting new targets or you're you know designing a new drug in terms of molecular design or you're performing you know clinical trial designs and so forth, you know, access to a very limited amount of biomedical knowledge can lead to you know, better decision making. And one of our core motivation was you know, let's try to build a platform by leveraging the latest in language AI so that we can enable the scientists to be able to query and access all that information, all the biomedical knowledge, like like the totality of biomedical evidence out there so that they can understand these underlying molecular mechanisms of diseases and so forth. And that we see as critical to the development of effective and efficacious drugs. So, you know, the way we put it's like we're building this digital infrastructure for biomedical R&D and decision-making. And our goal really is to liberate, you know, the people involved in this drug discovery and development so that we can liberate them and give them access to all the knowledge information insights out there that currently you know they don't have access to.
1: Now, you're speaking music to my ear because when you talk about querying data, often today we see with the leading data analysts, data scientists, most of the work still is done with queries, right? And these queries can be in different languages. Sometimes they're low-level languages like Rust and C++ are built on top of compilers like Wasm and WebAssembly are even more modern with Python or SQL. So querying is so important to get at the heart of data to understand all the analysis. I'd like to hear a little bit about the data that you're seeing, this big data in biomedicine. I mean, what are, uh, what are the file types? What What's some of the data that you and the team are seeing?
2: Absolutely, David. So I think that really kind of cuts the core of what we're building, right? So you have got all these different... You know, biomedical data that are very disjointed, disparate, remarkably messy. You've got this, all this variety of different modalities of data, right? You've got our DNA RNA sequence, protein functions, gene expression, biological pathways, disease databases, imaging. You've got scientific literature. Just to give you some um, kind of a breadth of the data available, so every 10 seconds there is one life science paper being published. And then you've got, you know, 10 million gigabytes of molecular data, like sequencing expression type data available per scientist. And think about this: our human body, it's a living, breathing, big data system. You've got 37 trillion cells packed full of data with billions of chemical reactions per second. It's a massive data system. And unfortunately, the way a lot of this data exists, it's very non-uniform. So non-uniform, not only in terms of the nomenclature of the biological terms. So, for example, you know, genes and proteins can have these different aliases and synonyms and IDs from different data sources. And you know, data schemas are highly inconsistent. They're not machine-readable. You rarely have a control, like control vocabularies or ontologies in all this highly unstructured data. So, for example, let's say if you want to find, you know, if you want to query, let's say, hey, show me all the type two diabetes studies where a certain gene of interest, let's say some gene is differentially expressed, that could take weeks, if not months. And that poses a big problem because you have a lot of tools that are available and a lot of these tools are open source these are like software and databases that are mostly command line centric they've got very technical uis and there are like literally thousands of these tools and these tools are were built piecemeal and they were created from for the specific needs of a certain academic research group right so this was built on grant money and what happens is that a lot of these tools quickly become outdated because of lack of maintenance on the back end because the grant money kind of runs out And then the people that actually develop the tools, they kind of leave the project. And so these tools, there are all this plethora of like bioinformatic tools and software and databases out there that are plagued with program bugs. They mostly lack documentation or have very complicated documentation at best, very, very technical UIs. And for an average scientist or an average person in this industry, you really need to have a fairly deep grasp or sophisticated understanding of database schemas and SQL querying and statistical modeling and coding and data science and you know, mastering mirrors of our libraries and Python packages in order to access these online tools and databases. And you know, the problem with that is that not only you know, all this biomedical data that's out there are siloed, but the people working with this data are siloed as well. And so you know biomedical data with a context of collaboration and this kind of siloed thinking actually adds very little value. Now, just because it's available like all of this data is available, doesn't mean that that it's usable. And that's what we have, you know, what we're seeing, and that's what we're here to solve.
1: Yeah, I think one of the big issues we're seeing all across every industry with data is more data is better, but but wait, <laughs> more data is better, but what can you do with it? How can you work with it? How can you put it into this? holistic system or one integrated system where everything's connected. And then the data analysts, the data scientists, the ML engineers, the bioinformaticists can actually understand how to parse that information. And it sounds like a lot of that that you're focusing on is around text and you know these research papers and these studies. And as you mentioned, every 10 seconds one's coming out, I mean, if you had to read every 10 seconds, a 30 to 100 page research paper, not possible. In addition to the data sets that's being shared for reproducible analysis, the amount of data growing is exponential. And so this begs the question, you know, how do you create a robust system that's using full text search, that's using semantic analysis, that's diving deep, so that ultimately, research can be done better, faster, cheaper. And sounds like NextNet is at the heart of that, of helping to pioneer that uh, NLP for drug discovery and development.
2: Absolutely. So I think you know, David, one, one thing to clarify, I think people often you know think that we're just dealing with text. I think one of our core one of our core differentiators is that we are not only going after text like scientific literature and patents and reviews and so forth, but we're also going after more you know molecular data sources, like you know disease databases, you know, DNA RNA sequencing, and gene and protein expression databases and so forth. So we are kind of um, extracting information from all of those. But I think to answer your question here, so we have built probably the most sophisticated NLP stack that allows us to analyze this vast corpus of disjointed and very multimodal data, and then connecting knowledge and concepts extracted from them, reasoning across all this interconnected landscape, and then providing scientists with the research capabilities beyond human insight so the way to think of this in a in a more simpler term is you know sapiens is basically it's teaching itself biology and chemistry by reading papers textbooks extracting knowledge from different gene protein databases understanding all of that contextualizing all that information then updating itself every day by reading you know hundreds to thousands of papers a day millions of abstracts a month ingesting all this massive you know sequencing expression databases and so forth now an average scientist can read up to potentially i would say around 400 papers a year max right so just in the last 24 hours you had around ten thousand papers published life science paper right so with that rate at which an average scientist can read all that information it would potentially take the person 20 years to go through all the information that was published just in the last 24 hours right so what sapiens does and it does really well is it's able to extract knowledge concepts facts and connect all of those into this massive knowledge graph so we have built probably one of the most sophisticated knowledge graph you know at the heart of what we're building and then we are building applications on top of that so we have discovered close to 100 million contextualized machine curated relationships and um, Our goal is to, within the next 12 months, to be reaching the mark of a billion relationships between biological concepts, between facts, between biological entity, like cells and genes and proteins and disease and pathways and metabolites and so forth. And then on top of that, we have built this, uh, you know, we have built applications such as search and discovery. So you can ask sapiens abstract questions, like what are the biomarkers for such and such disease? Or how pathway X affects gene Y in some cell type C? Or what are the research trends for certain area X? And so you can ask those kind of questions, and you can begin to analyze the results. So sapiens basically surfaces those results in the form of relationships between concepts, biological concepts, and these entities. And then you can manipulate those connections in the network. And you can also upload your own data. So let's say you're, you're performing some biological experiment, and you're generating images, and RNA sequencing, and so forth and so we're building the workflow which is completely codeless you know zero code where you can upload those internal experimental data in you know, a proprietary data onto the platform securely and then transform all of that into this massive network and really begin to contextualize that you know that information and begin to manipulate those relationships and you know generate actual insights generate some hypothesis and test and validate those hypotheses share that across across the enterprise within your team and then take informed decision, both scientific and business decisions. And that's a very powerful thing.
1: And from everything that you're, you're sharing, Stephen, look, there's been a variety of models built over the years with a variety of, of text corpus of data going from the millions to, to now the trillions of parameters. You know, we think of OpenAI, we think of GPT, we think of BERT. There's just a variety of models. And your team's building state-of-the-art. Uh, what does state-of-the-art NLP look like uh, for you and the team in Nextnet,
2: yeah you know i think a lot of the work that we're doing could not have been done like two or three years before this because i think some of the advancements that has happened in the last uh you know two or three years has been really really phenomenal so just just to give you some perspective here so less than a decade ago in order to understand what text is about your AI algorithms would only count how often certain words occurred now the issue with this approach was that it it kind of ignore the fact that the words have synonyms and only mean something if they're contextualized but you know your, your recent progress in nlp research has been accelerated because of the uh, adoption of this kind of self-supervised learning from you know very large-scale data and the transform model architecture so i think a you know, transformer is potentially one of the greatest breakthroughs that has happened in nlp you know recently it's basically, it's a neural net architecture that was incorporated into NLP models by Google Brain researchers. I think that came along in 2017 and 2018. And before Transformers, your state-of-the-art models in NLP basically were like LSTMs, like long short-term memories or the widely used seek to seek architecture. And those were based on, you know, recurrent neural nets. And, you know, by definition, this kind of recurrent neural net architectures processed them sequentially. That is one word or word piece at a time in the order that those words appear. But what happened around 2017, 2018, when Transformers came into the picture, you know, the Transformers' innovation was to make language processing paralyzed, meaning that all the tokens, and by token, I mean, like, it can be a word or a character, you know, subwords. So all the tokens in a given body of text are analyzed at the same time, at least within a window, rather than in pure word sequences. So in order to support this kind of parallelization, Transformers basically rely on this AI mechanism called attention which basically, as the name suggests, is pretty much you know, exactly the same thing. this how do we get this kind of AI models attend you know, to the important semantic parts as we do as humans. And so attention, if implemented scalably, can enable a model to consider the, you know, the relationship between words, even if those words are far apart in a text or in a big sentence, and then to determine which words and phrases in a passage are most important to pay attention to. And I think this really allowed this kind of transformer architecture to learn the meaning of a word in relation to its context in a sentence, and that really solved a key problem, David, which was you know, key problem with previous LSTM type models, this kind of re- recurrent neural net type models. But of course, with this kind of parallelization, meant that it's vastly more computationally, you know, it's definitely vastly more computationally efficient than like recurrent, neo- like those recurrent. You know, neural nets, you know, they can be trained on larger data sets and built with more parameters. But of course, these all come at a big price. These are incredibly resource-intensive, very technically challenging, and very few companies or researchers actually build their own NLP models from scratch. So you know it, it takes an enormous amount of this computational resources and engineering know-how to train models on this massive data sets with millions of billions of parameters. And so you you know, you may have heard of like this GPT-3 and BERT models and so forth. That require like several, I think that require like several thousand petaflop or something like the petaflop per second days, or some, you know, one of one of those parameters that they actually measure into train and, and then millions of dollars per train. And these are very complex, very costly to build. And most companies simply don't have the resources to build such large language models from scratch. So, you know, virtually all advanced NLP in the use today actually stems from and, and this is this is like irrespective of the industry, the setting. They're based on a small handful of massive pre-trained language models. So some of those language models are, you know, for example, BERT from Google and Roberta from Facebook and GPT, you know, like GPT model from OpenAI and so forth. And we are actually leveraging some of those models, those kind of language you know, generation and representation models. And then we have built our own proprietary NLP in architecture on top of that. And, you know, and a lot of the tools in-house, and that has really allowed us to be able to, you know, extract, automate the knowledge extraction from all these very diverse, disparate data sources in, in the biomedical arena that would just not have been possible just, you know, two or three years ago.
1: It's super fascinating to see uh, the journey that, Stephen, you've shared with with our listeners about how the entire NLP industry is continuing to evolve and how this means a variety of new products is continuing to evolve. And those products include access to parallel processing, access to cloud compute, access to larger data sets, and you were sharing at the onset here that you and your team have built what is known as Sapiens, which is what powers NextNet. Can you share a little bit more about Under the Hood on, you know, now that this technology is becoming more mainstream, how Sapiens is leveraging that, and what are some of the features that Sapiens is going to be helping
2: in this industry? So... The thing that Power of Sapiens is this massive knowledge graph that we have built at the core, and we have, as I was telling before, that we have, we have discovered close to 100 million, like you know, AI derived, machine curated relationships between biological concepts, entities, and so forth. So I'm, I want to give you some perspective here. So 100 million machine curated relationships. Contrast that with one of uh, one of the leading companies. Um, this is a, you know, kind of a classic incumbent in the field, and I would probably not name names here, but they have. I think I was reading there one of their one of their fact sheets. They have discovered close to six million biological concepts that they hand curated over over twenty years. We have reached close to hundred million relationships between concepts and facts and so forth within a little over a year. And again, this is based upon some of the latest advancements in NLP and so forth. And we are fastly reaching the mark of um, potentially close to a billion relationships within the next twelve months or so so what we have built are automated platform sapiens to help companies identify like new targets generate new hypotheses by like understanding the the underlying cause of a disease help them guide the research for molecular or like therapeutic design to develop the most effective medicine to treat that disease and potentially as we move forward we also see applications of sapiens where it can be used for you know clinical trial purposes like for patient stratification identifying patient subgroups to understand how individual patients will, will you will know, we'll respond to personalized treatments and so forth. So Sapiens is, you know, our goal here is to really make biomedical data accessible and useful for scientific inquiry using this platform so that, you know, your average person in the industry, let's say a, you know, let's say a wet lab or dry lab scientist or a VP of R&D or CSO or let's say director of research can ask and answer complex biological questions and you know, better frame hypothesis to understand these very complex multifactorial diseases. And a lot of the insights that Sapiens is, you know, extracting from all this uh, both publicly available data sources are proprietary to the company. And then you can map and and upload your own internal data and kind of, uh, you know, begin to, you know, begin to really contextualize all that all that information by uploading onto the Sapiens. And uh, you know, in terms of contextualizing with the insights the surface by Sapiens, and then rapidly test and validate hypotheses, and hence reduce the development time cost and failure rates. And I think, you know, one thing, David, I really want to make sure that our audience understands, you know, NextNet is not a data broker or data aggregator. We see ourselves as a digital infrastructure for biomedical R&D and decision-making. And that kind of goes back to the original, I think we were talking about how bad decisions can lead, lead to drug failures because our domain and subject matter experts are working with very little of the available biomedical evidence. We're trying to liberate them so that, you know, they can have access to, know kind of the totality of biomedical evidence out there right and sapiens actually does that so you know we are we are rapidly going you know growing our platform and um, we have just recently started limited trials with some for early adopters this includes academic research lab and some selective enterprise clients and um, over the course of this year we are really you know fine-tuning a lot of our platform ui and the workflow and so forth
1: very exciting. And uh, I know at NextNet that uh, you've been also growing the team. You're currently hiring, and know you have, among other roles, a full-stack engineer open. So can you tell us more about growth, whether that means through fundraising or, or through the team as NextNet is going through this next chapter?
2: That's very relevant, David. Thank you for asking. So so we are beta testing. We are the platform. Basically, we have built a search and discovery in a feature. So we have been testing that with selective enterprise clients and some academic research labs, and the goal for us, you know, during the course of this year, to really work closely with some early adopters, to refine the UI and the graph navigation, the knowledge collaboration tools, and the workflow, and so forth. We have also been raising a financing round, so we have got half of that invested, and we are looking for additional investors to come and join us in this journey. And the goal for us is to really raise a larger round uh, sometime early next year, and then scale this platform to like. You know, at least half a dozen, six to eight enterprise clients, and you know, potentially a dozen academic research labs uh, sometime next year, and also build out a leadership team, and also go for uh, as we call them, elephant hunting. You know, bring on board some large biopharma and biotech customers, and continue to build our IP and leverage our key differentiators that we have to also keep our competitive pricing, and then go on to raise uh, more significant, you know, Series A, you know, after that, and really kind of expand from there. Expand. You know customer facing teams like support, sales engineering, accommodate new customers, partner with other instruments like instrumentation life science, you know, R&D companies that can offer sapiens as a part of their product offering and really, you know, continue to build out the team because you know one of the things that's essential here, we are building at the end of the day, you know, a software platform and selling it to the biotech, you know, to the biotech and biotech from customers will definitely be an interesting journey. So and I'm looking forward to you know, bringing people not only in technical roles like full stack and UI/UX and mathematics, but also um, you know people in sales and marketing as well. And I think we are we are looking for investors, and we're also looking for people to join us in this journey who can uh, help us build this platform.
1: That's exciting. And if we take a step back and look at a longer term roadmap, like you know, every founder has a great vision of where they see the industry, where they see their product, and and where they see change and disruption. Can you paint a picture of if we're looking two, five, ten years down the road in drug discovery and development? You know, where would you like to see the industry grow and, and how will that picture change?
2: First and foremost, of course, I would love, you know, personally to see more and more drugs getting approved and you know the failure rate decreasing. Because as I said earlier, it's it's a massive societal cost the way biotech RD occurs, where 96 more than 96% of the drug fails, and even like I think I was reading this, like the top 10 to 15 selling drugs actually only work on like 30 to 50% of the patients at most. So we're almost failing 70% of the patients, right? And I cannot imagine another industry where the in product failure is this rampant. So one of my vision, you know, and one of our goals here is to really make a lot of this information and knowledge that are buried within all this solid data sources accessible to an average person in this industry and accessible without writing a single line of code, right? So that you can search, discover, generate hypothesis, test and validate, share that within your enterprise and really make a massive impact in the way, you know, the organization performs biotech R&D. We are looking for organizational transformation in the way the biotech R&D occurs and the decisions are made. And, you know, we are, I think we see ourselves, as, as I said earlier, as a digital infrastructure, for biomedical R&D and d decision making And you know, our, our goal is to really kind of become, um, and I think this also is kind of a, as a part of a mission statement, is our mission is to do for biomedicine what Microsoft's OS did for virtual computing, to really empower scientists, to empower an average person in this industry, to ask and answer all these complex questions with a mastering coding, coding languages, rock and statistics, and be able to get to that knowledge and be able to share that knowledge and to really transform the biotech R&D as a whole.
1: I'm excited. I think that today we're learning a lot about the journey, about the change of applying new applied AI, applied ML, and applied data to the industry. So there's a lot of potential there, a long, exciting road ahead. What uh, message would you like to share with our audience as a takeaway today, Stephen?
2: We're definitely looking for early adopters. This includes biotech companies, pharma or academic research labs that would uh, like to uh, you know, test out sapiens and uh, like this to be a part of their journey of their biomedical R&D. We're definitely, as I said, we're looking for uh, also investors who would like to partner with us as we continue on this journey of building this, you know, probably one of the most sophisticated natural language based platform, or as we call it, you know, AI platform. And really, you know, my message to the audience is that, you know, watch out for us. You know, our goal is to really Transform the way biotech R and occurs, and that's 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 my personal mission. I started my, I founded my first company with that vision, and I have been continuing on this journey, you know, with this with this new with NextNet to be able to do that, and I feel very grateful and lucky to be in this, to be doing all of this with a team of really you know, brilliant people. So that's my message.
1: Excellent. Well, this episode has been with Stephen Banerjee, the founder and CEO of NextNet. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health.